You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Not with Frank Madden tonight. He pulled out late in the evening. I have got another guest, but I will give you guys two options to decide why Frank isn't here tonight. It's either work-related or it's Giannis airballing the two free throws in a row. And he could not bear to talk about that tonight. So I'll leave that with you guys to decide which is the actual truth. But before I get to our guest, I will say today's podcast is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. So it was a late call to this man, and he has uh, answered my... SOS, so it was, I think it was about midway through the third quarter when everything was starting to, to really fall apart for the Bucks. I will say tonight. They do lose to Boston 116 to 105. And Justin Garcia has just wrapped up his ESPN Milwaukee duties, his Bucks.com duties. And thankfully for me, and maybe thankfully for you who listened to me ramble on for 40 minutes by myself yesterday, he's jumped on with me. So Justin, thanks for, uh, thanks for answering the call. What a time to uh, be on the podcast too. Yeah. And I, I do want to say that this was a last minute uh, <laughs> decision to get you on because I did jump on the post game show with you after the Miami game. So I feel like at this point uh, we haven't had the best games to talk about. <laughs> there haven't i mean have there really been any good games to talk about so far this year no like and that's game you like, won, but it, it it was your best of the four this year but it's not really a game you felt great about yeah i think you're right and i think that's the story so far with the bucks even tonight uh they are yet to really play four quarters of basketball and it again stung them tonight i mean they go in at halftime with a 58 to 42 halftime lead they keep the Celtics to 42 points in the first half and to be honest it felt like this was going to script a lot because when you look at the offensive numbers for Boston coming into this game they were ranked 16th in offensive efficiency 16th in pace and 29th for true shooting percentage and they were really struggling to score in the first half and the question that was sort of raised in my head was okay is this the Bucks defense showing up and playing a team that is a rival team for these guys, is this the defense or is this just how bad Boston's offense is when they get stuck in the half court and are forced to to do a bunch of isolation things? But in the second half, this really fell apart. And all of a sudden, really for the first time this season, the Celtics offense came unglued. They scored 74 points to the Bucks, 47. 
and it was a disaster. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't even know if there's any positives to, to take away from the second half at all. I mean, you could try and say, yeah, Chris Middleton hit a few shots in the fourth quarter to try and spark some sort of run. But I don't know. I mean, it feels like to me, disaster is the right word for that second half. Yeah, the, what you were hinting at too, the Celtics, uh, they had a lineup out there in the second quarter, I think it was, where to that point of, is this the Bucks defense playing like we're accustomed to, or is this just the Celtics? They had a lineup where I don't know how they expected to score, that they were playing for a couple of minutes, that that was kind of in the back of your mind of, okay, this is one of these games. And looking forward to Friday, too, it's going to be the same thing because that's a Magic team that struggles to get to 100 points. So if you can't come up with the defense in that game, it's still not time to worry, but that's one of the things that you kind of have to take a second look at. Yeah, so the Bucks give up uh, 38 points in the third quarter alone, and that 16-point uh, lead at the half was turned into a, a deficit there after three quarters. A big part of that was the three-point shooting. The Bucks completely get stuck in mud offensively. They shoot one for 11 from three in the third. The Celtics shoot six for 10 from three. And I mean, that they were bombing threes from all over the place. And I, I think it was interesting to watch the Bucks because there was two really set lineups from Bud in this third quarter. He started with a, a group of five that included Milton, included Bledsoe and, and Brooke Lopez. They were shooting a bunch of threes. Nothing was falling. They called a timeout. They were up 76-72, I believe, at the time. Then they come back with Giannis and a bunch of bench players. Really nothing changed. And this offense wasn't able to get... I mean, they couldn't get anything going except for shoot, bombing away threes. They were lucky that they got one from Kyle Corver. He shot that from the, the, the second row, I think, leaning out of bounds. That was one of the baskets they got. Uh, they also got an alley-oop. Uh, that, was, that was early in the fourth quarter. They got an alley, alley-oop from Chris Milton off an inbounds pass. But this offense could not figure anything out at all. No, and, you know, you don't want to keep harping on it, but... This was one of those games, and we said it again with the Heat, that they, it just – this felt like the exact opposite of what we saw in the postseason where the Celtics' defense was just really pesky and Marcus Smart, you could see, was really getting under the skin of Giannis. The Celtics were constantly moving around, and it, it just felt like they were outworking the Bucks. and we saw the Bucks just kind of get stagnant, that this was one of those games where the thing we mentioned repeatedly of – you know, for all the ways you can replace Malcolm Brogdon, the one thing we're waiting to see and how do you replace him is Malcolm Brogdon was that other guy outside of Giannis that I don't know that I'd say fully create a shot, but he was the other guy that would take the ball to the basket and could get something going. And what we've seen in this game and what we saw against the Heat over the weekend is they still haven't figured out how to replace that. Yeah, look, I think it's good that you brought that up. And we, we should probably at this point, and again, I'm always hesitant to make too many early big calls, particularly because, I mean, there's been four games. Oh, four games, you're not ready to, yeah, to line but, up what the season is. Right, but the, the, the thing that you bring up is interesting to me because when I was watching this third quarter and I took a, a sort of a shot of the, of, of the court or the defense that the Celtics were playing when Giannis had the ball, and this was in the lineup that Bud brought in, and I didn't like that the Bucks could not score, and this was the, the lineup that Bud went to at the timeout. It did not make a lot of sense to me, but he had Ursan, Pat Connaughton, Kyle Korver, and George Hill was the, the, the other ball handler out there. So 
you know, I was, I was fine with George Hill being out there. But when you looked at this group offensively, the, the shot that I took that, that I put on Twitter was Giannis. It was a possession where he sort of received the ball uh, just beyond the, the free throw line, took it out to the top, tried to dribble in. Three defenders collapsed on him. He walked back out to the three-point line, realized that he had nothing else to do. And the other four guys, sure, they were spacing the floor, but they weren't moving at all. And, they, and this happened consecutive possession after possession after possession. And when I was looking at that group, I was thinking to myself, man, there's just no one that can actually create any offense for themselves of, uh, with, of, with the ball in their hands at this point. And it was sort of exaggerated by the fact that nobody was moving. And it was like, all right, Giannis, figure something out if you can. And really, there was nothing that he was going to be able to do. Just, he could not score over five people. Your only, the only way of scoring the ball was if someone started to hit a three. But as is often the case when you get stuck in these ruts in the NBA, we see it all the time. If you can't make a shot, that, that offense and just relying on that and no, no people movement, no ball movement, it, it often doesn't end, end well. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just keep going back to uh, – I talked about this with Eric after the game on Saturday. Some of the usage that I think we kind of – we all assume this was going to be smooth sailing for this team because when you look at the other teams in the Eastern Conference, the um, Sixers, and not just the East, but all the NBA, they had a lot more changes than the Bucks, whether it was personnel or what there were larger scale changes than what the Bucks are going through where Malcolm Brogdon's gone. But, um, you know, as, as we have discussed before, it's not like that's your leading or second leading score that you're replacing. It's still someone you have to figure out how to replace, but he's fourth or fifth in the food chain there with that team. It was largely just the bench. And I think we all kind of assume, well, this will be smooth sailing and that this group knows each other and there's not that much, feeling out process and what we've seen is with that second unit the three guys that bud certainly already had the most confidence in it's there once again in pat Connaughton and ursan and george hill but it just feels like the rest of that second unit whether it's robin lopez and really to some extent to kyle corver there's still kind of some uncertainty and a feeling out process that those are some of the lineups we've seen to that point where it's gotten clunky and you know, I kind of, and Eric and I talked about this Saturday, I think we're in agreement that some of these minutes for Kyle Korver are just kind of just that in helping him get up to speed with his new teammates. But if you're looking for shot creation and how are they going to get those looks, Kyle Korver, I think we can agree, it's important to get him up to speed there, but he should only be on the floor when Giannis is. And I would think those minutes are going to come down after a couple of weeks when you get them out there where the minutes are probably going to be closer to eight or 10 minutes. And that's going to open the door for guys like Sterling Brown and maybe Dante DiVincenzo, because those are guys where, look, it's not to the level of Malcolm Brogdon, but I would still take my chances with Sterling Brown trying to create a shot than Kyle Korver at this point. Yeah, and look, uh, today was probably the first time that I was I was watching the Bucks play this season, and you know, again, you you really just touched it. I mean, we've spoken. I've spoke with Frank about the fact that the Corvus probably there is that acclimation period, and I, I'm sure that has a little bit to do with it. And I'm sure, just straight up, that the the Bucks internally are not as concerned about the two and two start as 
um, some of the fans would be and the frustrations that I guess people are seeing watching this team from afar. But uh, for mine, today was the first time and, and I watched Bud's post game and then obviously you would have listened to that on the, on the post game show. But there was a couple of comments from Bud that st- stood out to me. And basically the big thing was that he was not willing at all at any point to talk about the offense really. I mean, every question that he was asked that was relating to the offense and some of the things that we've just spoke about, he brought it directly back to the defense. He said the defense was discouraging and concerning. He said, uh, regarding the offense, he said, if you play defense, you can survive those stretches without shooting the ball. To some extent, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, he's not wrong, but I thought to myself, if if his concern was the defense tonight, then I, I... you know, this was really the first time, even through the Miami game, I understood, you know, whatever, it's, it's the second game. But tonight was the first time I was like, well, okay then. Well, if, if, you, if it's defensive energy that you're looking for and you're on the road and you're trying to slow down a run and you're trying to really halt this huge wave of momentum that the Celtics have, you've got three guys on the bench that that's what they're going to bring. You don't know what they're going to bring offensively, but defensively, you know that Dante DiVincenzo, Sterling Brown, and DJ Wilson are guys that are going to bring defensive energy. And I thought tonight was the time when things really started going wrong. Let's get these guys in there. Let's not keep banging the, the same thing against the wall. Let's get some of these guys in there and see if we can come up with a steal. We know that uh, you know those guys in particular are pretty active in the passing lanes. They move around a lot on defense and, and cause, cause some issues for teams. And as spark plug guys off the bench, uh, I thought tonight there was an opportunity to bring them in. And maybe, maybe this is just part of Bud saying, we saw this a lot last year when the, when the Bucks also lost to the Celtics, the first game they lost for the year where people questioned the defense a lot and Bud sort of said, well, it's early in the season. We're just, we're just figuring things out. I'm trying to uh, instill my principles on this team. There's not too many new faces, but there's a couple of new guys and maybe that's a little bit of the same and we shouldn't think too much more about that. But yeah, tonight, tonight was a night that I looked at the lineups and I was a little bit confused. I was a little surprised we didn't see Sterling Brown tonight just for everything you brought up. And you think back to the, the series against the Raptors last year when, I wouldn't say desperation, but when it felt like something needs to happen here and we need to really stem the tide of Fred Van Vliet. It was Sterling Brown that we saw Bud go to where he drew the assignment of just get out there and get on his face uh, that I thought this is the time to do it if we're going to play him early. Now, you wonder how much of that is, as Bud has told us, you know, last year he said it repeatedly that the Bucks' mindset of this, of this staff is we're just going to go with our principles and our system and that you didn't see a lot of deviation outside of going to a switching defense. And I'm sure that was part of the thinking of, you know what, we have this plan. We're going to work in these guys and Kyle Corver and eventually we're going to bring in the rest of these guys. We're not deviating that. We don't want to look like we're panicking four games into the season. But if there was a place for it, it seemed like it was there. And Sterling Brown, to me, would have been the guy I would have went to. Yeah, yep, I would agree with that. And and I think, you know, again, for the the fourth game in a row, uh, there were some, some serious defensive questions to come from that. If you're looking at positives from tonight, and again, I mean, I think you have to look at the flip side with these things. Yes, the Bucs have been terrible at hanging on to a lead. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, you go up by 21 against Miami, you lose that game. You go up against uh, up 19 tonight against Boston and you lose that game. But there were a couple of performances that, that I think stand out to me for sure. And Chris Middleton was one of them. And should we really be surprised? I mean, this is a guy that 
Boston fans must just hate by now. And for all the talk we we had uh, with you know right through last season and about the contract and what the Bucks were going to pay him. I'm sure if you ask any Celtics fan, they would say that he's not only worth the 178 mil, he's worth the Supermax. Um, you know, and, and just think of if Chris Middleton didn't show up, right. without Chris Middleton, where would this game have gone? Because down the stretch, and especially I think he had uh, either 15 or 17 of his 26 were in the second half. And you know, without him – this could have been a 20-point loss, that he was doing his best. He was the guy that it seemed like was hitting the shots and just keeping them within eight or so, but the defense just couldn't come up with stops. Yeah, Chris Middleton, it was interesting to see through the third quarter, and this was a little bit, you know, part of my frustration, I guess, watching the offense. And and I understand why Bud wants to focus on the defense, and that is that was clearly an issue, but... Yeah, you know, offensively, I keep coming back to the fact that when you looked at Chris Middleton in the in the first half of this game, when he hit a couple of shots, and and really you could tell that, that Middleton was on. And when he gets in those types of moods, we've seen the Bucks really ride Chris Middleton through stretches of games. And a couple of times there, he got caught on Kemba Walker. Uh, when the Bucks were running some offense, and he he found the switch, Kemba Walker was guiding him, and you could I could almost see. Middleton's eyes light up through the through the TV here in Australia. I mean, he was like, "Okay, I'm like, I can score on you anytime I want. I can get any shot that I want. I can get to any position I want." It started to force the Celtics to think about what they were doing. They started sending doubles to Chris Middleton. The one that I, I that comes to mind is where Jason Tatum quickly uh, came on on the immediate double to Middleton. Middleton handed the ball off to George Hill, who drove baseline, then found Connaughton for the for the wide open three. And those are the types of threes that this Bucks team wants to be shooting. Those ones in rhythm, in the rhythm of the offense, not just heaving up threes because you can't uh, develop anything else offensively. So I thought in the, in the third quarter when things really went bad, Middleton only had two shots for the entire third quarter. He made both of them. So when the offense was really struggling, I would have liked to see the Bucks run some more stuff through Chris Middleton. And again, just try and get some, some actions going, get some people moving. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I looked at it tonight and to some extent it's been there all season long too is if, if you only looked at the box scores from each of these games, there was Wesley Matthews in the first two I think had 11 and 14. But other than that, if you're just looking at point production, it's been Giannis and Chris Middleton and, and Brooke has had double figures in all four games, but it's been around 10 points that it feels closer to what we saw a couple of years ago where it's just those two guys and the stars that are eating. And the bench has been terrific again, especially those three guys. But last year it was a consistent attack of, you know, how many times did we see four starters, at least three starters in double figures? And those numbers were 15-plus points. And it just doesn't feel like we've gotten that yet this year. Yeah, no question. And and just to that point, Middleton on the season now, and he hasn't always shot the ball well. He's had stretches where he has shot the ball poorly, and particularly in that Miami game when the Bucks did uh, drop off. A big reason for that was Chris Middleton going cold uh, there. But just on the season now, he's averaging just a tick under 21 points, uh, over six rebounds, and shooting 42% from three. So a pretty nice start to the season for Chris. And when you look at the other member of, of the Bucks big three. And we've already touched on him. And I feel like we're talking about him a lot in every, every episode at the moment, but yeah, Bledsoe, 
I mean, only seven points tonight, three for eight shooting, one for four from three, continues to struggle from the three-point line. And, and uh, also, also the free-throw line, 0 for three tonight. And, you know, he's just struggling. And I, I've always said with, with Eric Bledsoe, if he can continue his defensive effort, then you're really going to have no problem you know, playing him. You're going to have no problem with the contract. You're going to have no problem with anything Eric Bledsoe does. Obviously, you're going to be questioning what he can do come playoff time based on what we've seen. But, you know, to this point, he hasn't been able to really do a lot on either end. I thought he started well tonight again, and but really faded out of the game. And I think it's really telling to go back to that third quarter lineup change that I spoke about earlier. When the Bucks needed something defensively, Bud took, took Bled and sent him to the bench. So, yeah, I mean, I think this has been a big feature of the Bucks the last few seasons. There's always been three guys, or last season, sorry, there was always three guys. And at one, one night it might be Lopez. The other night it might have been Brogdon. The other night it might have been Bledsoe. But to this point, two guys is, uh, are being asked to do too much in the starting lineup. Yeah, and I was going to ask you too. Um, so if we just look at the numbers, George Hill has played more minutes than Eric Bledsoe so far this season. And you look back to the Rockets game where uh, George Hill was a guy that Bud we saw really lean on. Tonight again, we saw George Hill as one of the closers. And we saw him, in, you touched on the defense, but offensively too in the fourth quarter, it was George Hill that we saw closing things out and not Eric Bledsoe. Uh, his defense has been okay, but I agree with you. If the defense is at the level it was a season ago, I'm not overly concerned with the offense. It's only four games, but it hasn't been at that level. It's just been okay. And, and what stood out, too, is at times in the third quarter, he just seemed to look very tentative and unsure where, you know, the Eric Bledsoe we saw last season that would take it to the rim and try to finish, he would get about midway into the lane and then immediately was looking to pass the ball tonight. And that's one of the things that we've noticed four games through this season. Yeah, and, and again, I'll continue to mention it until I would say that the time has gone where it can't be an excuse anymore. But the, the rib injury, I mean, when you talk about that passiveness offensively, and I would say passiveness defensively as well, because when you think of Eric Bledsoe, the defender, I mean, he is aggressive. He is looking to fight through screens. He's looking for contact defensively and to, to harass other guys. Kemba Walker has not been a guard that the Bucks have had a lot of success with with over the years. But, um, yeah, to this point, I, I, I still just have to wonder. I mean, this is either a real problem for the Bucks and it's going to be something that lingers or this this will, you know, evaporate Bledsoe, go back to the Bledsoe we know. And then you sort of say, well, look, maybe this guy was fighting through some stuff that, that we really have no clue about. And you're not going to hear any excuses from anyone with the Bucks, But... Yeah, I mean, I would say by far Bledsoe is the guy I'm getting asked about the most at this point. I'd say you're probably the same. And for the moment, it's it's still way too early to to really make any any judgments on on a the the contract and b what what the Bucks you know might be looking to do. I mean, I think from a broader point of view, as I spoke about, I was watching in that third quarter and wondering whether the Bucks are a uh, playmaker short with the ball in their hands, a guard, a playmaking guard. And I'm not sure. I mean, that was obviously something that when we talk about all the limitations that Malcolm Brogdon has, being able to put the ball on the floor and, and, and really penetrate the paint, make smart passes was, was something that he was good at. And as you've seen, at the moment, Bledsoe seems a little bit hesitant to do so. This is a guy that was, was a great scorer in the restricted area last season. So 
it's a little bit puzzling and that's why I am looking to see whether that injury is affecting him because that would be something that makes sense and that would be a better result I think than <laughs> than him really struggling uh, you know, to find that aggression. You know what my favorite part about this time of year is? Sweater weather. Leaves on the ground and threes from downtown. That's right. For some, it's fall season, but for the rest of us, it's ball season. And for me, it's actually summer, so just ignore this. Pro and college ball are tipping off, and there's no better way to feel a part of the action than to have a stake in the game with mybookie.ag. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, then try parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Either way, if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Well, there's a couple of things. So, um, you know, you talk about Eric Bledsoe's health. And uh, to that point, how, how was the way John Horst described the injury, where it was saying it's a matter of pain tolerance, which we all thought was kind of questionable. But we know if that's the case, it's, hey, he's in a lot of pain, so it's a matter of what he can handle. So I do think there's some credence to what you brought up of over – how aggressive and physically typically is. Well, if you're dealing with something that's going to cause discomfort and pain, you're probably going to back off of that. And, and I don't think any of us think he's hundred percent as of yet. Um, but just, I'm not asked about Eric Bledsoe. I'm told about Eric Bledsoe quite okay. a bit from the fans. And uh, certainly what came out today or the other day, yesterday, certainly didn't help that with a, a baseless rumor that there's no chance of it happening, but still, Fans are going to look to that, and they're going to look to the slow start and say, well, go out and get Chris Paul. Uh, you know, the thing with Bledsoe, too, and you brought up the contract, he's still, what, the 19th highest paid point guard in the league? That, you know, as long as Eric Bledsoe is even an average point guard, certainly not what you'll want, but for that contract, he is still a bargain. Yeah, I, look, I, I think that the big reason why – and and this is something we spoke about. I, I think a big reason. Well, it, there's there's two parts to this. First of all, everyone naturally is going to look at Malcolm Brogdon and see what he's doing in Indiana. And look, the Pacers aren't winning games, but certainly Brogdon is is putting up big assist numbers, which you know doesn't look great when I'm sitting here talking for the last 20 minutes about how the Bucks might need another playmaker with the ball in their hands. Again, this is something that needs to play out over over the next few months. Uh, and the second part to that is that no matter what happens, and this is something that we've spoke about a lot all summer, it's going to be hard to really win over uh, Bucks fans and, and just the basketball public in general, I would say, until we see it in the playoffs. So I think this is a conversation that's going to last all season long. To this point, it hasn't been a great start for him. Uh, but you know, I will say that he has had about well, 70 games the first year, 80-odd games last year. So he's had 150 games of, of really good basketball in the regular season for the Bucks. So it's, it's certainly uncharacteristic for him to have these sorts of struggles. And I, I'm not 
reading a lot into it yet. I want to see this guy get fully healthy and then this Bucks team really get rolling because I think the the problems from Milwaukee are, are far deeper than Eric Bledsoe. I just think that he is a, a really easy target at, at this point of the season. And, you know, this isn't – we're not looking to turn this into the uh, re-explore what happened over the summer. But the, the bottom line is, look, you can say the Bucks didn't want to go into the luxury tax. And I do find it funny that now, for as vilified as they were at the time, there's been kind of uh, more and more of, well, you know, in hindsight, that is an awful lot of money for this team to invest uh, when you have other things like Giannis to lock up and just the, the overall money. And, and as we've already touched on the pecking order and where Malcolm Brogdon would have fit in there. Uh, but the bottom line is Malcolm, and, and this isn't a personal thing. Malcolm Brogdon didn't want to be here because Malcolm Brogdon wanted to be a point guard. So the Bucks could have said, you know what, we're going to match whatever Indiana gives you, but you don't know where it goes from there. And we have seen the last few years when a player does not want to be somewhere he typically doesn't stay there. So who's to say, even if the Bucks said, we'll bite the bullet and go into the tax, Malcolm Brogdon may have said, I don't want to be here and I'm going to force my way out. He wanted to play point guard. That's what he's doing in the Pacers. It just wasn't going to work out. So, you know, it, it's the thing that everybody's going to point to and it's only going to get louder if these numbers continue and Malcolm Brogdon makes the all-star team. But these were two uh, individual and team that it just had run its course. Yeah, no question. And, and as we, we sort of said, there's a lot to play out with that one. And I'm sure this is a conversation that's going to come up <laughs> very regularly, depending on what happens, whether whether Bledsoe bounces back and the Bucks look really good or, or the other way around. But yeah, for sure. I think it'll be something to monitor later in the season. And we're going we're gonna to have a, a, a big sample size of games as we head towards the, the trade deadline, which is a long, long way away. And the Bucks will know whether... They do need to look at, at another addition to the roster or, or any particular moves that they might make uh, if they find any holes in this team. But, you know, again, I mean, the Bucks have played well enough in games to build really big leads. And for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to hold them yet. But certainly there are some hidden positives there because when this Bucks team looks good, they look really, really, really good. They just haven't been able to piece together four quarters just yet. But again, this time last year, the Bucks were 4-0 and and on their way to going 7-0. and And in the end, that didn't really mean a lot by the time May rolled around. So a uh, long, long, long way to go in this one. And we didn't really even touch on Giannis yet at all. But it's interesting to note, and we spoke about the officiating a little bit so far this season, but Giannis picks up a tech late. He had Semi Ojale backing back on a drive. Giannis finished the bucket. It looked like there was some contact down low. Giannis, I think to that point, it was a, a combination of, of everything that's happened. Maybe not even to, not even just tonight, but across the early part of the season. It was a combination of having Marcus Smart in his face uh, for, for the entire night. He lets Mark Davis have it for a few seconds there and picks up the tech. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a puzzling start to the season officiating for Giannis, even though... He's getting these free throw attempts uh, on another 10 tonight. So, I mean, he's averaging around 10 a game, but it's hard to understand how he's being called at this point. And it was very easy for me to see why he would finally sort of boil over and, and pick up that tech because it's been, it's been a really tough and, and confusing start for him. 
Well, and, you know, I think the other thing that I, I think it was you and Frank that were talking about this on Twitter, too, that we have seen is um, we all were kind of unsure about the coach's challenge and how it'll be used. And what we've seen in half of the games this season is opposing coaches are using it relatively early to try yeah. and get that foul called against Giannis because that is, you know, you can say, well, you need to save this for later in the game, but who's to say, you know, what we saw against Houston and again tonight, uh, not to the extent of Houston, but who's to say, why wait when if you have it out there where, hey, this is going to be his third foul a minute into the second quarter, that's just as big. Yeah, I certainly buy holding on to the challenge. And, and I this is a, an early popular thought for a rule that we're all still getting used to. Let, let's, let's be real about that. But um, and, and I, yeah, I understand why the, the thought might be, well, hang on to the fourth quarter because you may need this in a really crunch situation. But I'll also say at the same time, if you're in the second quarter and you can get a null foul on Giannis and the one where he, he did it, I mean, it looked like an offensive foul if you slow that down. In real time, that's really hard to pick. But if you get the opportunity to challenge that, and Brad Stevens would have seen a replay. So I was sort of surprised given how much discussion was happening between the officials that they didn't call the challenge. But this is going to be, again, this is going to be another thing. And you talk about frustrating things for Giannis. This is going to be one of them. Because as a player, when you go in that situation and you think the foul calls for you, this is already a guy that gets a really tough whistle on offensive fouls, particularly charges, because I, I just don't think... I mean, the charge is such a hard call uh, to make for the officials. And when Giannis moves with as much force as he does, with as much speed as he does, the defenders rarely have enough time to get settled. I mean, it's, it's honestly rare that I look at those charges. I mean, sometimes Giannis is out of control, but some of them are, are just horrific calls. There was one tonight on semi Ojale, which was just a bad call. And if Giannis, is, if they're going to get the chance to start looking at calls on Giannis, slow them right down, watch 15 replays, and then reverse that, that's going to be another challenge for Giannis to be able to deal with that and understand that this rule might be used against him. And that, that, that could be a bad thing for, for, for the Bucks moving forward because tonight, again, I think if Brad Stevens challenges that, that's reversed and Giannis has another foul. Well, and you know the other thing we haven't even touched on yet maybe for the better, is free throws. And at least he responded the way he did, but it, it is, you know, it's been one of the biggest head scratchers for the last, uh, what would you say, probably two and a half, three months, where just before the playoffs started, certainly in the playoffs, and now into the, the early portion of this season, where he is, you know, for lack of a better term, just been a mess at the free throw line. Yeah, uh, I mean, 15 for 28, uh, he was coming into tonight. Now, 6 for 10 tonight, so 21 for 38 from the line. So still just over 50% there. And I would like to know the number of how many of those 21 makes have hit front rim before they've gone down. Because, I mean, that's where he's missing. And horrifically short at times. We've never seen him airball two in a row. Certainly not that I can remember. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this... It's. I kind of don't want to talk about it because it's kind of, <laughs> it's it's depressing to talk about if if this if this continues that, that Giannis is a, in the fifties for a free throw shooter. But again, to mine, it's hard to know without you know being right there and and watching him shoot the ball and see whether there's been any any real changes. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like he just thinks about it too much and leaves it way short. And I don't know. I mean, it, it is a problem. I mean, particularly on the road. 
And I think when the crowd gets gets a sense for that, we saw that in Toronto last year in the conference finals. We saw that tonight when he airballed the first one. I mean, crowds are loving this. And if you're the opposition, you have to feel pretty good about having Giannis on the line at the moment, which in crunch situations, that is, which is which is obviously not a good thing for one of the guys that gets to the line as, as much as anyone in the league. Uh, you know, we we both have talked about not overreacting and certainly not panicking here, but uh, these first four games, has have you had any sway in your outlook on the team or anything that you had in mind coming into the season? Has that altered in seeing these four games? Not really. Um, I, I think that, you know, I sort of tweeted it after the game, but I, I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing that the Bucks in the first month of the season realize that they need to do some things differently because, you know, this was one thing that we, we spoke about last year and we were sort of concerned about it through the regular season that, hey, this is too easy for this Bucks team. A, we weren't used to seeing the Bucks win every night and, and B, uh, we were like, well, I mean, are they just going to like roll to a championship here and, and it's just going to be a, a cakewalk for them? Because that's what it felt like until it wasn't. And so I, I kind of like feel okay about the fact that it's October. And yeah, you're looking at the Bucks and you're like, yeah, they need, to, they need to work on some things. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing for the players, for Giannis to work through and say, okay, I'm not getting it all my way at the moment. Yes, part of that, you know, he, he may feel is, is officiating, but it's also him. He needs to find a way to score in different ways, how to use his teammates. Bud needs to look at this offense and say, okay, well, how can I get other guys involved? How can I get people moving? How can I get the defense unsettled, the opposition defense unsettled? Because uh, in stretches when it's gone cold for the Bucks, it's been too easy for the opposition. I'm kind of cool with that happening in October. I haven't, I'm in the same boat as you were. Look, you know, they went 12 and eight in their last 20 games last year, and they still won 60. Um, I thought coming into the season at first, I, I thought they'd be, and we talked about this, I think around 55 or so wins. And then I kind of talked myself into 60. I'm not really sure anymore. Maybe it's just going to be high fifties. Um, but again, we saw them basically play 500 down the stretch last year and still won uh, 60 games. They went what 48 and 14. <laughs> the first 62 games. So we know they have that in them. I wouldn't say I'm discouraged, but I would feel a lot better over, over these first four games if they were used, I guess, the same way we saw the Raptors do things last year, where Nick Nurse was not afraid to try other things that you knew. Who cares? It's a meaningless November, December, January, whenever game in the regular season, but this is something we're going to go to in the postseason. If we were seeing more of that and you know, Bud was trying new lineups or he was trying different looks out there just to say, let's have this in our back pocket for the postseason, we would all feel a lot better about this. I still don't rule that out eventually happening at some point this season. But, you know, the only change for me is maybe this team wins 57 and not 60. Yeah. And again, as we, as we spoke about, the difference between that does not really mean a, a great deal. But yeah, I, I just think that it's so early, and we're gonna we are going to see. Uh, well, we're gonna have to see some some changes in in particular games. I agree. As we mentioned, that's probably my only real takeaway from tonight. There probably would have been stages where I would have tried to inject some other guys into those into those rotations. I would have tried a few more things offensively, which in some respects is kind of like, 
okay. I mean, I would have liked to see that. So that's my main disappointment from from tonight's loss. But other than that, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not too too fussed. It does seem strange. The Bucks weren't at 500 at all last year, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to to think about. Uh, now they sit they sit two and two, but it doesn't get any any easier. Uh, they travel down to Orlando and and then have the Raptors on a on a tough uh, two game two game slate there. So yeah, I mean it's going to get tough. And then the Clippers and then the Jazz. So we spoke about the start a lot, but this rocky start maybe has a little another little week or so left in it. Hopefully not. But uh, yeah, it's we always said it was going to be a tough start. We hope the continuity and the and the the roster most of the roster coming back was going to to help that. But some early season blues. Nothing that I would be getting too scared about or worried about just yet, but it's some, so there's a few things to monitor. Yeah, and you know, you and I saw it last year too, and, and just uh, that was the thing that stood out the most was just how this team responded all the time. That um, I would be very surprised if Friday night in Orlando is not uh, their most complete performance of the season, just knowing how Coach Bud handles things, and I'm sure. Uh, you know, we saw glimpses of it on the sideline tonight with his displeasure. I'm sure that is being stressed to this team as well that, look, early or not, this still isn't the way that we want to play. That I would be very surprised if Friday in Orlando against the Magic team that we said struggled to score the ball, if that isn't the game where we all look at and say, okay, this is the team that we saw last year and this is what I expect to see from them. Yeah, that wouldn't really shock me at all either. And uh, once again, today's podcast is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. Well, we've, uh, I think we, we dissected this one pretty well. There was a fair bit to talk about uh, from this 116-105 loss to Boston. The Bucks now 2-2, two and two, but do you have any, any final thoughts from tonight or moving through to the weekend? Uh, you know, no. I, I think it's funny, too, that our concern coming into this season was I hope fans don't get complacent and bored with just how great the team was last year and we expect the same this season that I hope there's not the wake me up when the playoffs start. And this is one way to avoid that. So <laughs> our wish is, uh, has come true so far. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I, it's kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say it's fun. I'd prefer if this, if, if the bucks were just destroying teams, but it is, uh, you know, I mean, there's plenty to talk about at the moment, plenty of improvements still in, in this bucks team, but thanks again for joining me on the, uh, on the lights, the late call up with uh, Frank again, as I said, potentially just really spooked and, and down about Giannis's free throw shooting, or or maybe he really had work. I'm not too sure. But thanks for the uh, thanks for jumping on with me and, and saving the day. You got it, man. All right, that's Justin Garcia back with me again. That's his second appearance. As I said, I'm going to annoy a bunch of of regular guests through the season to get them on, but that'll do it for Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman. Today, I will be back tomorrow for the last episode of the week as we look forward to as i said the game against the orlando magic and then the bucks will take on the raptors 